0: good morning welcome to our bible class for this lord's day morning we are in a study of the old testament book of ecclesiastes if you will find ecclesiastes chapter 2 beginning at verse 12 our study begins there today ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 12 down through verse 17. wednesday night the first part of chapter 2 we were really studying solomon's narrative of his failed experience with hedonism. Hedonism is that lifestyle that argues pleasure is the intrinsic good. And to discover what life is all about and to live life to its fullest, you must satisfy all your appetites. Pleasure is the intrinsic good. We discovered in the course of our study there is a problem with that. And the problem is the entertainments and indulgences available in the world do not prepare you to leave the world. And they do great damage while you are here. So we are back to the premise of the book of Ecclesiastes that life here on earth without God is empty. The more you hunt, the less you find when you are limited to what's available under the sun. So we'll continue that study in Ecclesiastes two twelve through 17 after prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to find thee in thy Son and respond as taught in thy word. Bless our efforts to learn and live what we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, listen to verses 12 through 17. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 2, 12 to 17. For I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind." this is not one of the easy passages in the book of ecclesiastes these words are not just simple to navigate i need to remind us that solomon doesn't write in modern western style that can be expressed in an outline or a linear format or arguments that lead to a destination like a preacher delivering a three-point sermon and then extending the invitation. Solomon wrote in the popular format of his time, but there are contextual indications within what Solomon wrote that tell us what he's talking about. So when you first read a passage like this, because it's in that Hebrew poetic writing style, it may not just come clear to you, but if you go back and look for contextual indications And slow down and read it again a time or two. It will come to you what he's writing about. He's talking about life under the sun. That's a very important qualifier. That means life here on earth without God in the picture. Under the sun. Without any reference to the maker of the sun. Sometimes Solomon uses the word wisdom, but he's not talking about wisdom from God. Sometimes he's identifying intelligent thought that goes on in the minds of men here under the sun. That is to say, human wisdom. The other contextual clue or sign within this paragraph is a key phrase that captures the main idea over in verse 16. The wise dies just like the fool. If you'll keep these three contextual indicators in mind, it will help you navigate the text. One, this is still about life under the sun without God. Solomon will talk about putting God in your life later. Two, wisdom in this passage is the wisdom of this world. And three, the key phrase in this particular section is the wise dies just like the fool. That helps me I hope it helps you as we begin our study. When Solomon says in verse 12, I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, this gives us that picture of a man looking everywhere for answers. That's satisfying. But still under the sun, ground level, on the earth, without God. At this point in Ecclesiastes, we are still under the sun. So visualize a man looking for life's meaning under the sun. He hasn't yet factored in the maker of the sun. God is not in the picture yet as described here, but this man is trying to figure it all out. Hedonism didn't provide good answers written in verses 1 through 11. But this man hasn't given up. He's going to look other places. He is applying his mind. He's frantically seeking answers, but he's limited to what's under the sun. Maybe there's something else out there after he sobers up from his drunken party. And at this point, this is not a search for God. It is is a search for life's fulfillment under the sun without God. So here's what he says. Wisdom... That men are able to acquire under the sun is a good step. Wisdom that men are able to acquire under the sun, when you apply that and evaluate life under the sun, that's certainly better than madness and folly. That's, the, that's where he is at verse 12. He's still in this looking, searching, experimenting mode, and God is not in the picture. Just what men come up with under the sun And he talked about wine, women, and song in verses 1 through 11. Now he goes to another level and he thinks about wisdom. And it's clear to him at this point in his research that wisdom is better than madness and folly. Yet he's going to discover that human wisdom is still deficient. Wisdom in this context isn't yet attached to God. It will be later. This is the application of just what you can come up with here. The application of the human mind to search what life is all about, but you're still just under the sun. This man, we presume Solomon is telling his own story, this man comes to a place where he realizes that when compared to madness and folly, being smart's a good thing. Just as light is better than darkness, wisdom is better than madness and folly. So, listen to verses 12 and 13, see if this fits. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what's already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness." Now, we've talked about wisdom in this particular context. That is what you come up with here under the sun, searching for life's meaning. God's not in it yet. Let's talk about madness and folly. The word madness is from a Hebrew word that de whoop-dee-doo. Not really. Not really. Madness and folly are about grabbing gusto. Noisy excitement. The party lifestyle. You know people who move around on the weekends from one bar or nightclub or party to the other, hoping that the next one will provide more excitement than the previous one. That's madness and folly. Solomon concludes at this point in Ecclesiastes, in his writing, it's better to be smart than to be drunk and hedonistic, and running around trying to satisfy every appetite. Now, let's add this element to it. In the middle of this, there is a question and an answer. And the question is, what can the man do who comes after the king? And the answer is, only what's already been done. So, you give up on hedonism, and you apply human wisdom, still operating under the sun, and you conclude there's nothing the next king can do any different. He may have better tools, he may have better technology, but he's gonna draw the same conclusion. There's nothing really new under the sun when you've explored the fulfillment of every appetite down here. When your evaluation of life is limited to under the sun, while you may decide that human wisdom is better than hedonism, still, You are left with nothing new under the sun. There is nothing out there someone will find later that fulfills your life as long as your quest is limited to the earth, the world, under the sun. Hedonism becomes repetitious and boring. You can only go to so many parties and have so much fun. But even after you admit that that's madness and folly, and you're wise to all of that, you still don't have the ultimate answer. Because even those who are wise about hedonism are going to die just like the party animals. I think that's the point of this passage. I think that's the point. What happens after it's all over. Now whether you've been smart about how to conduct your life here under the sun or you've been really stupid about it and you've ruined yourself here under the sun the question then becomes what happens after it's all over. I want to approach this this way I worked up this graphic that may help us to some extent. I want us to consider two men The man on the left, well, you can see what he's interested in, right? You see what he's all about. He's the guy going around all the nightclubs and the parties on the weekend trying to find more excitement than he had in the previous one. He's the party guy. The other guy here, he's smarter. He understands that that's just not the way to live. So the one on the left, we will call the typical party animal, if I may be crude and modern about it. He is absorbed by hedonism, wine, women, song. The guy on the right, we will call smarter. Now, he's not a Christian. He doesn't have God in his life. But he's wise enough and smart enough to see that madness and folly brings you to ruin while you're here. The man on the right has enough common wisdom to understand the ravages of alcohol and sexual immorality and drugs and that lifestyle. Uh, He may even have a very good understanding of how materialism and greed can ruin your life. He may also understand that being devoted to one wife is far better than having a harem of 1,000 women. He may also understand that it's good to raise your children with solid ethics, even though he may not take those ethics from the Scripture. So he is smarter than the guy who's all wrapped up in madness and folly. He has wisdom that causes him to see the vanity of madness and folly. But what will happen... To both men see that's where this is headed remember God is not in the thinking of either man even though one is smarter than the other these are two men navigating life limited to under the sun one is smarter than the other has a good sense about risk but my question is what will happen to both men and that's where Solomon takes us the wise dies just like the fool. Now, most of you can think of that in very personal terms. (coughs) Sometimes you'll go to two funerals in a short span of time. And one will be the party animal, the person who ruined himself with hedonism and sexual immorality and alcohol. He died And you may go to another funeral shortly after that. And while this other person is not a Christian, they were smart about this kind of foolish living. But where are both of them now? They're dead. See, Solomon says, the wise dies just like the fool. Now, I'm hoping what I'm doing here is helping us put all this together. So after you've listened to me, what you need to do is listen to the text and see if I've captured it. So let's do that again. Third reading. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what, he's already been, what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness." dies just like the fool so i hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me and all this vanity and a striving after when solomon at this point in his quest draws a preliminary conclusion now his final conclusion is going to be about responding to god That's in 12, 13, and 14, the last two verses of the book. But at this point, as he navigates through life, trying to find answers under the sun, he comes to a preliminary conclusion, and it's depressing, because God hadn't been factored in yet. I hated my life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, and all is vanity and a striving after when. Even people who are smart enough to see the madness and folly that ruins your life they die just like their drunk lewd counterparts this is why it is when your life is only about what is under the sun and God is absent whether you are wise or foolish all is vanity and a striving after wind. you see the point I think that's what the paragraph is telling us. I'm going to pause before we go back and pick up a couple of other details. Questions or comments? I want us to go back to something Solomon said about kings who succeed previous rulers in verse 12. I want us to go back and look at that a moment. I want us to think about this. Civilization civilization doesn't take a giant leap forward every time a new king or leader is installed. Have you ever seen that? Civilization doesn't take a giant leap forward every time a new king or leader is installed. I'm thinking in America It is easy for us to think that a change of leadership will fix everything. But we've never seen that. We've never seen that. I I know that we want good leaders and better leaders and we pray for leaders who will acknowledge God in his ways. But let's not be naive or utopian in our hopes and dreams the older we get the clearer it should be to us a new leader or a new set of leaders while they may provide some benefit will be unable to fix everything under the sun so you're gonna be disappointed if you build up that false hope in yourself that if we can just get the right men there everything will fall into place and everything will be fixed it may be better But it's not going to be the case that they will fix everything under the sun. Better leaders may do better things, but massive turnarounds in direction (coughs) are historically seldom ever witnessed. The new leader, (coughs) the new king, Solomon says, will probably do what's already been done. Now that's kind of gloomy, (coughs) but not for those who are citizens in the kingdom of Christ and who live their lives under the perfect leader. We have what could be called dual citizenship. The earthbound citizenship that is temporary while we're here. Then our kingdom citizenship. Here on earth we may never see the leadership we think is absolutely best for the world. But as citizens in the kingdom of Christ, we have to remember we have a perfect leader who will come to get us and take us to a perfect place. That's what we call hope. Verse 16, I wanted to talk about a little more. Let's mark the phrase, no enduring remembrance. No enduring remembrance. If you were here last Sunday, to illustrate what we were talking about, I had a picture on the screen. I've put it back there of my grandfather on my father's side. A picture that was taken in the 1920s. My grandfather was Charles Rice Berkeley. And by the way, he made a living making and selling tamales in Arkansas, interesting trivia, there will be no pop quiz. And you remember I said to you when I used him as an illustration that my grandkids know very little of my grandfather. And they probably couldn't call his name. And my great grandchildren will likely not know anything about Charles Rice Berkeley. I was making the point that as the generations transpire and replace one another, not only are people that you remember going to be forgotten, guess what happens over time? You're forgotten. No enduring remembrance. And so people who think they can make a mark in the world and be uh, be remembered, and their names can be put in history, and or at least you know a footnote. They set themselves up for disappointment. I like the way the contemporary English version, as published in the UK, reads verses 16 and 17. Wise are foolish. We all die, and are soon forgotten. Wise are foolish. We all die, and are soon forgotten. That's Solomon's tentative conclusion before he puts God in the picture. Now when you put God in the picture, what you have is, we're all going to be remembered. But for what? That we serve Christ, trusted in the cross, or that we went from one nightclub to the other every weekend trying to find a better party? See what I mean? I want to stress, if we just had this passage that we're looking at this morning, if we just had this paragraph, you'd be left with depression and gloom and absence of hope. But I'm telling you, Solomon is reporting things that he went through in his life, and he's on his way somewhere. And when you read the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, you will have arrived at his conclusion. Here's what life is all about. He'll say, fear God and keep his commandments, but he's not there yet. He's not at his wrap-up, but I am at my wrap-up. So if you're visiting with us, we take the last 15 minutes and we make application of the text we have studied. Ecclesiastes two, twelve through 17. I hope I have helped you understand what that paragraph is about. Now, takeaways. That's what we call these. Our takeaways number one I believe we're beginning to see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in this text and certainly later in the book this very simple truth there is a built-in longing for permanence in every human being it may be suppressed it may be ignored Efforts may be made to fulfill that longing in some way that's limited to under the sun, but there is a built-in longing for permanence in every human being that cannot be answered by what this world offers. Can't be answered under the sun at all. When you try, like Solomon, it just takes you down dead-end road after dead-end road. And the harder you try, the less you find, and the more depressed you are. There is no success here on earth. There is no worldly ambition you can follow that will answer well that longing for permanence within us. God in your life is the only answer for that longing for good life and permanence. And Christ died so that we can have that permanence in our lives as we attach ourselves to the Maker of the Son through Jesus Christ. Longing for permanence. This is going to be alluded to over in chapter 3 and verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. There is this longing for permanence. In every one of us. And you cannot satisfy that longing with anything that's under the sun. You're going to have to be related to the maker of the sun. And the only way to be related to the maker of the sun is through Jesus Christ. Solomon's going to take us to that conclusion. Before my next takeaway, questions or comments. Number two. All our striving apart from God will be marked by futility. It may seem exciting at first when you launch out onto that road of hedonism. But Solomon says it's nothing. Striving after when? All of our striving apart from God will be marked by futility, though we may never recognize it. Now, Let me be clear. Solomon doesn't say, don't do anything. That's not the conclusion to the matter. Solomon doesn't say, give up, close up. There's nothing to pursue. Don't don't deal with anything here under the sun. Solomon's not saying that. Solomon teaches all our striving for meaning in life here under the sun that leaves God out. Is like chasing after wind. You'll never get your hands on it. You'll never get your hands on it. You will move from one temporary thrill to the other, and you'll wind up bored and frustrated, and you never find it until you get to the end of this book when it says fear God and keep His commandments. I have some other things to to work on, but I want to pause there for questions or comments. I've given this a lot of thought. Are we happier here in America? And I want you to inquire of yourself personally about that are we happier here in America with all that we have with all that we believe we will have in the future in technology and innovative uh, innovative things around us are we happier here in America there is a book by Greg Easterbrook called the progress paradox I haven't finished it but here's an interesting premise that I think plugs in very well to our study of Ecclesiastes. Easterbrook says that even though the lives of average Americans are constantly improving in limited ways, we never seem to get much happier. In fact, it seems people feel worse at the very times when life judged by others ought to cause them to feel better. I've described to you before this kind of situation where you come to a place in life and you say, if I just had these two things, it'd just be perfect. If I just had these two things, and then you get those two things. And not long after you get those two things, you're saying to yourself, Uh, There's a couple other things I need. That's the striving after when. I will never forget a conversation I had many years ago, probably over 40 years ago, with a couple of friends of mine. Three of us came together for coffee in a little cafe in uh, Arkansas, Greenwood, Arkansas. And we started out typically talking about how things were going for us, the three of us. And in turn, we would offer up our complaints about what was happening in our lives. That's what men do when they sit around having coffee, whether it's in Arkansas or Texas, I suppose. You talk about the stress factors in your life. Well, I was preaching for a small rural congregation and we were struggling as a church to get through some problems and personally I had a huge car repair bill had no idea how I was going to deal with that no room in the family budget for it there was another man at the table he's also a preacher he's trying to raise four girls and his wife is still in college and they have medical problems and he's talking about that there's a third man at the coffee table there with us friend of ours He joined in with his woes, and uh, he had a son with brain cancer, and he had employees in his business who had walked off the job and had some problems in some of his real estate, and this man was working 14, 15 hours a day. So that's sort of the way it went, and you've had those experiences, and If you dropped into the conversation, you would think these three men are all struggling like everybody else in the world, and they're struggling about everything. But then we we took our conversation at the end to a higher plane, and we talked about Scripture and our efforts to do the Lord's work where we were. And we concluded our little session of complaining and then reviewing our blessings. We concluded that with prayer, and we went back to work. Now, here's the part of the story that illustrates what I'm talking about this morning. One of those three men was a millionaire. Now, guess what? It wasn't the two preachers. But one of those men was a millionaire. How many people think, if I just had all the money... That I could meet all my obligations with everything else in my life would fall into place. That's the kind of mythology that Solomon destroys. You're striving after when It's vanity of vanities. When you fix one thing, something else comes up. And you fix those two things and you decide you need something else. So, this millionaire wasn't really any happier than the two preachers. But we were all three happy when we started talking about our common faith and the hope that attached to it. That's what Solomon wants us to see. The joy of fearing God and keeping his commandments. I've just got three or four more minutes, but I'll give you another opportunity. Last chance. Going once education. That really came up in this paragraph, didn't it? Because one guy was smarter than the other. The answer to the world's problems, some people say, is education. They're not talking about edification from scripture, they're talking about education, secular education. That's the answer to the world's problems. You see that almost daily on Facebook or somewhere else or on the media. Now, you will not hear me dismiss the value of education. There is value in good education and parents have obligation to be certain their children are well prepared to go out into life and be productive citizens, provide for their families. But will you consider for a moment this morning the case of Solomon, who was handed an education who knew wisdom in a secular and a spiritual sense? God gave him wisdom. But he is really telling us in this text that being smart is not a guarantee of happiness. You have to use that wisdom and that education that you've acquired. ...in a manner in keeping with the one who gave you brains. Where are we headed with that? Fear God and keep his commandments. So whatever you have, whether it's money or education... ...the ability to learn and relate to people or a servant attitude... ...whatever you have, that in itself does not fulfill the longing for permanence within your soul... But when you take all those things and you use them as one who fears God and keeps his commandments, that is what it's all about. So let us say to our children, get that education, do it well, prepare yourself to be productive, but if you leave God out, your report card, resume, or success story will not help you when you die. Satisfaction is not found in education, not ultimate satisfaction. Ultimate satisfaction is found in the conclusion that Solomon leads us to the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this. Solomon finally says, here it is. For this... Is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Well, that's our class. I want to recommend that uh, in preparation for the other phases of our study in the future, that you do what I recommended when we started the study of Ecclesiastes. Sit down and read the book in one sitting, the entire book from front to the end. If you stop before you get to the end, you might get hung up on something and it might seem a little gloomy and depressing. So get to the end and see what life is all about and then ask yourself, is that what my life is all about? Day to day, fear God and keep his commandments. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study.